think about it at this point. There's one place in this world where we're basically on camera or being recorded all the time, right? The one place where nobody has managed to penetrate yet is inside your mind. Your thoughts are pretty much secret, right? You can control those. But for how much longer? We're seeing amazing developments in technology where computers can literally read your mind. They can use microchips implanted in the brain, analyze the signals, and translate them. It's a slippery slope. There is a lot of wonderful, fascinating, excellent advancements that can come from this. But there's a lot of ethical questions, too. So let's dive into that a little bit now. We have Jennifer Boger joining us. Um, Jennifer is the Director of Intelligent Technologies for Wellness and Independent Living Lab at the University of Waterloo. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This really is a, a fascinating discussion, I think. Why don't we just start about the, the technology that we're talking about here? It exists, right? It's being used already, and there's some amazing experiments showing what can be done with this technology. Yeah, that's right. So, like all technologies, um, every year shows new advancements where we can do more and more with it. So, it does exist. It has existed in some form for quite some time. First uh, implants into the brain were back in the 80s, I believe. Okay. But as technology has evolved, of course, its use has become more sophisticated. What we can do with it is becoming uh, more and more advanced as we learn more about the brain and as well as more um, the technologies themselves that get implanted, things like biocompatibility, for example, where you can put a chip into your body and your body won't reject it. That's been a big problem and still is, but problems like this are becoming evolved, which means the technology inches closer to being realistic for you know, use in the everyday population. And some of the things that can be done with this really is remarkable. I, I'm, you know, the article that I was reading mentions a study out of Stanford where, you know, if you're talking about people with um, spinal cord injuries, paralyzed people, things like that, accessing the brain and then having it control machines essentially opens up an entire window that we've never seen before. So how are they using it in that specific instance? In that instance, um, and again, we, we have to be cautious because it's a sample size of one. So right. for some people, these experiments have worked quite well for, whereas other people, not as well. And we're, we're not entirely sure why. It may have to do with placement. It may have to do with that person's ability to control their thoughts and things like this. Um, but as you say, we're getting closer to that. So people who are locked in, for example, can now perhaps have an option to be able to, you know, the first application we're really looking at that makes obvious sense is think to a computer so that they can type with their mind or control a cursor. Um, and being able to do so, it's quite obvious how that opens so many doors and makes it possible for people who are locked in to have more direct control and um, direct interaction with society, family, friends, and just you know, you can do a lot if you can access the internet now, and that makes <laughs> yeah. it possible for uh, that population to do so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's talk about where this technology could go, and probably will go, because if there's one thing we know about technology, if there's a problem out there and something that needs to be solved, it, it's pretty good at doing it eventually. So, um, you know, just in terms of mobility, if you're somebody who's paralyzed, you get a basically a machine exoskeleton that you can control with your mind. So you're opening up all those kinds of doors, too. What other, you know, applications can this possibly be used that would be life-changing for some people? 
Right. And so uh, we think about, and a lot of people jump really quickly through the whole scenario, right? So you could think of the application where, um, and this is where I find it interesting to kind of have these conversations and these thought experiments of, well, what could we do with it? Yeah. Because then that leads to what do we want to do with it and how, what's okay, what's not okay. So for example, you know, you could see one scenario where people choose to have this implanted and then they can just think to all their devices, just normal people. It doesn't matter whether you're locked in or not. Um, but a lot of people also see the danger behind that. For example, a lot of people look at military use and what that might mean. Or um, if you have this type of technology where you're basically sharing your thoughts, then how do we safeguard it so that you have choice over who, you know, has access to your thoughts and which thoughts they can access? Um, how do we train it so that we only share the thoughts we want to and don't accidentally think things we don't intend to and then have those show up in conversations or on work meetings or, you know. Well, exactly, right? Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I mean, you know, down the road, you could be talking like, you know, in terms of if you want to talk about a lie detector test, if, if this kind of development happens and, and they can literally read your thoughts, I mean, the end of the privacy discussion is there. Um, but, you know, I, I think we should point out, and you make a good point, Jennifer, that it's not the technology that it's bad. It's, it's what we're going to do with it and how far we're going to let it go. And we need to be working on that. Yes. And that's, that's something I'm studying and quite passionate about as well is I really believe we as a society, um, not just researchers, not just tech developers, but as a society, need better ways to talk about and think about uses of new technology and to, to go through that journey together. Because right now, the pace of technology is very rapid mm-hmm. um, and, and increasing. It's always increasing. So right now, you have people building it, and they're pushing what is possible so fast that we're not stopping to think enough about do we want to go there or how, more importantly, how do we want to go there? Um, because, you know, once the technology is built, it's usually going to be used by someone. So figuring out ways of doing so that's more responsible and supports things like equitable access um, and privacy and consent, autonomy, all these things is very important. But it's not something that tech developers can or should be expected to do by themselves. This is something that requires all the different parts of society 
to help support and engage in those discussions with tech developers. That's the thing. I mean, I, I, I imagine in the labs, the tech labs where these kind of things are being produced, um, is there, does that work hand in hand? Are there ethicists? Are there these kinds of people working there? Or is it sort of those people are developing the technology and then somewhere else completely disconnected is another group of people saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't do that. You know, can we bring those together? It, yeah, it's it's like that, that. So people are starting to, and again, it's like any industry. It's very company-specific right now or research lab-specific where you have some groups that are much more responsible and the pressure is on to do so more and more. So a lot more companies are trying to have a more ethical angle toward tech development um, because they're people too. And they are understanding that the implications of what they're building and they live on this planet too. They engage in these societies too. And so there are a lot of companies that are making great strides on trying to figure out how we work these types of conversations and how we work responsible development into the tech development innovation pipeline. Mm -hmm. And really when you do that, it's often more efficient because you're then solving problems before their problems. So you have a more robust technology that more people are happy to use because, you know, it checks the boxes. Regulatory, passing regulatory requirements is easier. Longevity is likely. So, I mean, it is in best interest, but it's also very hard to do. It's not how we train people in STEM right now, which I think is another big issue is a, a lot of people who get trained in engineering and computer science there's a lot about optimizing battery life and processing speed, but there's not a whole lot on thinking about implications of what you build on society or the environment. So they're trained, you know, that while these things are important and interesting, it's not their job to do that. Um, so I think we have to tr change how we actually train the people who build it so that they can engage better in those conversations and be a part of that journey. And, and like you say... That needs to be on the front end because once the technology is created, you know it's going to be used and trying to put that genie back in the bottle and say, oh, we need to put some regulation around this is so much harder than developing that hand in hand with the technology itself. Absolutely. And I think it's it's really difficult too to just point to government and say government needs to regulate it, which is true, yes. But as you say, you can't build the regulation after the technology right. because then the technology is already in use. And the other part of it, too, is then we're always running to play catch-up with things that have been built without necessarily thinking about impact as much as we should. Whereas we need to have this so the regs are developed hand-in-hand -hand with the technology itself, where one is informing the other a little more in parallel. But again, that requires that people who understand how the technology works also are people who engage in policy. Because right now, the other problem we have is a lot of policymakers who may not be able to grasp the yeah. nuances behind the technology because it's so complex. So we need a lot more crosstalk. It's really... Do really we ever? <laughs> Absolutely, we do. And we don't have a lot of time, Jennifer. That's the thing, right? I mean, this technology is already in existence in, in some capacity, and making the next steps will probably happen pretty quickly. So we need to be on this. It is. And I think really important as well is just enabling choice. Yes. So that people can choose whether or not to engage with the technology. So when we take the example of neural implants, 
that one's, you know, a very decided choice. That's a very invasive operation. You know, it doesn't happen by mistake. You have to really, <laughs> you have to really want that <laughs> for that to happen. So in this instance, it's a little more boxed in terms of, you know, you can't accidentally get a neural implant. Um, but, you know, there's other technologies that are more pervasive. They're all around us where perhaps we're not having enough choice about whether we get to engage with that or not. And if we choose not to, then do we get this treated the same way as someone who might? So there's difficult questions like that as well that we have to think carefully about. Yeah, it's a whole Pandora's box. Very interesting. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. It's a fascinating discussion. It really is. No, thanks for having me. That is Jennifer Boger, who is uh, the Director of Intelligent Technologies for Wellness and Independent Living Lab at the University of Waterloo.